All right, we are in Matthew 11 today. And some stuff has been going on, and Jesus, he sent out the 72, and he did all that. And they all went out and preached. No, he sent out the 12. A little bit later, he'll send out the 72, and it'll be a whole different thing. And uh, they all came back, and they were, you know, we've gone to all these cities, we've preached the gospel to all these people, wow. And now, after that, this is what happens. So Matthew 11, Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. I love that part of sending them out and then them coming back and him talking with them is part of the instructing. Like instructing for Jesus isn't just read a book and now you're done or watch this video and now you're done. The going out and doing and then coming back and talking about it was all part of the teaching of the learning. He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So basically, the disciples went out, six groups of two, and they went city to city and and raised the dead, cast out demons, healed the sick, preached the good news to the poor, and proclaimed the kingdom, and then they came back. And now Jesus is going to all those cities that those guys went to. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. This is John the Baptist. Uh, King Herod has arrested him because John the Baptist, one of his different messages that he was preaching, um, condemned the actions of King Herod, who killed his brother-in-law to marry, no, killed his brother to marry his sister-in-law. And then they were like, I don't know, something like 20 or 30 years off in age. And there's just, it just gets worse. So I'll spare you all that. It was enough that when John talked bad about Herod, Herod had him thrown in jail. Okay. It was really more probably Herod's wife because she was the one that was really getting the brunt of it. But yeah. John tells his disciples, go find out if this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Is there somebody else coming? I love that. Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Basically, Jesus says, What else could you possibly be waiting for? (laughs) Right? The blind receive their sight. The dead are raised. What else could... No. He's just saying in a really kind of secret way that John would know if John was looking for it and John was waiting for it. I am the Messiah. See, Jesus couldn't say flat out, Yes, John. Yes, go tell John I'm the Christ. Because then all the Pharisees are going to hear this man claims to be the Messiah. And we know he's not the Messiah. Have him arrested. Or people would do like they did at another time. They were like, yes, he's our king. Let's crown him. Let's have a, start the revolution. Let's go kill Herod and all the Herod family and put Jesus in as our new king. Jesus doesn't want any of that. He's not that kind of king. He's not that kind of kingdom. So he's like, look, tell John all about this. 
Look at the evidence. Look at what I'm doing. So it's easy to read through that list and to be a little intimidated, right? Because other places in the Bible, it says Christ is in me. Christ lives in me. The spirit that was in Christ is in me. But I haven't ever been around any blind people that received their sight, lame people that walked. I don't, I've never seen a leper that I know of. I've never been around a deaf person that can now hear. And I've never raised anybody from the dead. But he includes one more thing on that list. The poor have the good news preached to them. So remember when Jesus healed that guy that was paralyzed and he said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, how can you say his sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, just so you know that it's as easy for me to forgive sins as it is for me to heal him from being paralyzed his whole life. Watch this. Hey, dude, pick up your mat and go home. And the guy gets up and he walks home. The invisible work of the forgiveness of sins doesn't look exciting. It doesn't even look visible, right? You don't even see it happen. But the work of the blind receiving their sight, the lepers being cleansed, the deaf here, and the dead raised from the, back to life, that's all really visible. But the poor having the good news preached to them isn't glorious. It doesn't look awesome. You're never going to get a news crew. But to the people that are hearing that good news, that they have found, you know, that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, to take their sins away, to give them a new identity so they don't have to sin anymore. They don't have to keep sinning to find their new identity because Christ gives them a new identity. That is as big a deal as somebody being raised from the dead. You could be raised from the dead and still go to hell. Think that through for a minute. Wow. And we're going to talk more about it here in a minute. You could be blind and receive your sight and still go to hell. There were people that were healed in the, new, in the Gospels that didn't necessarily show evidence of believing that Jesus was the Messiah. There were some people that didn't. That, yep, there are plenty of times where Jesus says, your faith has healed you. We had that lady last week, right? If I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. That was her declaring, I believe he is the Messiah. But there were other people that got healed by Jesus and didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Wow. The, um, the guy that was possessed by all those demons. He didn't have any role to play except being the demon container as far as his healing went, right? The demons talked disrespectfully to Jesus. Jesus casted him out. And then the guy wanted to follow Jesus. But we don't have any expression of that before that. So poor having the good news preached to them is a really big deal. And that's something that we can do. It's something that we can do every day. And uh, what does poor mean, right? Poor is totally flexible. Poor is a complete sliding range of who is poor. Uh, it's kind of like the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Well, 
whoever had mercy on you know the guy was his neighbor well who are the poor people that we preach the gospel to well whoever we preach the gospel to if they don't have the gospel they're poor they don't have the most valuable thing in the world i don't care what they have they're poor and so that gives us license and power to preach the good news to anybody Matthew 11, verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So the, the 12 disciples are there, but there's a whole bunch of other people there that are just trying to hear Jesus. They, they might not have been with him for all of his travels. It might be, hey, this guy's coming to town. I got the afternoon off. Let's go hear what he has to say. That kind of thing. So there's a crowd everywhere Jesus goes. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, Jesus is asking the crowds, what did you go see? A reed shaken by the wind? And you know, you can see all them, no, no way. You know, John the Baptist, he was amazing. He was a prophet from God. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So this is one of my favorite jokes. This is one of my favorite jokes in the gospel. Um, not only is it a joke that Jesus tells, but it's a political joke. So this is also one of these fun. Um, so Brenda, you brought in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And we had this, it's this big old book and it's full of every word that's in the, in the Bible. And you can look it up and then you find the number and it has a number that corresponds to that word in Greek or Hebrew. So you don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. You just know the number. And then you go look that number up. And this is one of the first words when I got one of those 20 years ago. This is one of the first words I looked up. And it's, it's stuck with me ever since because it's just so funny. Um, and me and my buddies were all sitting around trying to figure out how to work a concordance. And it was like God just threw us this extra treat of comedy in this. So, enough. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? So that word, a man dressed in soft clothing, is all one word. And if you have different translations, it might say a man in fine clothes. You might have what, I don't know what, I haven't come across a translation that says what it really is. But it has this word. That same word shows up in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 goes like this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So that word, men who practice homosexuality, is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, a man dressed in soft clothes. So this was a a Greek, you know, um, like people say light in their loafers. Or, you know, they they have these terms that don't really say what they really mean, but they mean this other thing. So now read it like that. What did you go out to see? Uh, Basically, the breakdown of the word, um, we're just, yeah, we'll be PG-13 here. Um, It was a man dressed like a woman for sexual purposes. That's, that is the literal translation of that word. So, 
Jesus says to the crowd about John the Baptist, what did you guys go out to see? You go see a reed swayed by the wind? And you can hear him all say, no. And he says, did you go out to see a man dressed up like a woman for sexual purposes? And they all say, no. And he says, yeah, they're all in the king's castle. He just called out Herod as having a castle full of men dressed like women. That's why it's a political joke, right? He is, he is slamming. So here's John the Baptist who preached out against Herod and got thrown in jail. Jesus refers to John the Baptist. Did you go see some man dressed up like a lady for a show? No. Yeah. All those guys are in the castle. All those guys are in the, in the, it would be like if he said, all those guys are in the White House and everybody'd be like, whoa, right? What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And now you can see the crowd being like, yeah, he was a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way for you. So now he's quoting Isaiah, which means, again, Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. Because he's quoting Isaiah, talking about one going ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so if you stop right there on the verse. The greatest person ever born, according to Jesus, is John the Baptist. Which is pretty radical, because at this point, Jesus had also been born. So that's how much honor and credit and attention Jesus himself gives to John the Baptist and what he did and who he was. But, Jesus says, one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. So all the way up till now, the greatest person ever born was John the Baptist. But in the kingdom of heaven, the least, lowest, littlest person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist is. Okay, so what was John the Baptist's message? He was be baptized for the repentance of your sins. John's baptism wasn't saving anybody from their sins. It was a chance for them to say, I have sinned and I don't want to anymore. I I have led a sinful lifestyle and I no longer want to do this. What's really funny in the modern church, the way we talk about baptism, we really do a baptism that's a lot more like John the Baptist's baptism than Jesus's baptism. But that's okay. John's baptism was for the repentance of sins. Then Jesus says that he's going to baptize. John said about Jesus that he's going to baptize with fire and the spirit. Well, as we get through and we talk about things, the Holy Spirit couldn't come until your sins were forgiven. Because God can't dwell with sin. So God can't dwell in me as long as there's sin in me. So Jesus had to come to take my sin away and put his spirit into me. And so in the kingdom of heaven, where we are walking not by the law that we have to repent from, 
but we're walking by the Holy Spirit and the indwelling life of Christ in us, the least person with Christ in them is greater than the greatest person ever that lived under the law. Greatest person ever that lived under the law, John the Baptist. Great job, John. You did it. You, you lived out more of the law than anybody. You did excellently. But the least person that has the Holy Spirit in them has had every single one of their sins taken away forever for good, all gone completely, and they have the Spirit of the living God living in them. Isn't that exciting? Like, here you are, I'm going to say it, you are more righteous than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, he, he would have been, if we want to get real cosmological, John the Baptist was one of those that was um, dead in the land of the dead that goes by different names, that when Jesus died on the cross and he was dead for three days, um, brought all of them out into, right? Yeah, it gets crazy. And it's all up in the air. And it doesn't matter what you believe about that because that it's, it's not salvation kind of material, right? John the Baptist, greatest ever. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. So all of this time, righteousness before God has been based on, is, is always based on faith. Old Testament, New Testament. The, God didn't change from the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you showed your faith in God by obeying a law. And there were 613 of them. And the way you showed your faith was obeying every single one of them. New Testament, still by faith, salvation by faith, just like it was for Abraham. But now we show our faith by living according to the Holy Spirit. By living according to the Spirit of God, renewing our lives. The violent took it by force because they could take away your ability to do laws, to obey the law. They could, they could mess that up. Um, there was um, Antiochus Epiphanes had sacrifices of pigs in the temple and forced rabbis to eat pork. And, you know, that just desecrated the law in a terrible, terrible way. They could, they could violently force you to not be clean, holy with God anymore. The Holy Spirit, nobody can, do, nobody can do that. He says, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah to come. So they taught in that day that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would come and announce his coming. And he says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah. The it there is, if you're willing to accept that I'm the Messiah, he's your Elijah. If you're not willing to accept that I'm the Messiah, you aren't going to get an Elijah. There's not another one coming. 
Then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Again, this is another one of these veiled statements of him saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm I'm the son of man. He's telling them without telling them that he's the savior and they should follow him. They should react. And then Jesus has this kind of a little rant and a little analysis of what's going on. What do I compare you guys to? What, do I, what, what is this generation like? You're like a bunch of kids sitting in the marketplace, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. Like, we just can't get you guys to pay attention. That's what Jesus is comparing them to. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon, right? He's out in the wilderness. He's skin and bones. He's living off of bugs and honey and crazy dreadlock hair. The son of man came eating and drinking, right? He was at Matthew's house drinking with the sinners and the tax collectors. He doesn't wash his hands before he eats. Oh, my gosh. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're just, they just aren't happy with anything. And Jesus is basically calling him out. He's like, you guys don't want a Messiah. You're not looking for salvation. You're just looking to win your, your power argument and stay in power. If they were genuinely, genuinely, sincerely seeking after God, they would talk to Jesus and ask him things. And they would learn from him. And they would learn a lot. Remember when Jesus was 12 and he was in the temple And all the teachers were amazed at the questions that he asked and at his teaching. Because they weren't intimidated by a 12-year-old. They were able to learn and they were able to be amazed. 20 years later, that guy can take our power. That guy can can hurt our, our influence. So we have to hate him. And so from this position of hate, we're not going to listen to anything he says. And of course, he says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's Proverbs. He's like, you guys are going to find out. That's a really bold. It's a really bold statement. Wisdom is is proved by her deeds or justified by her deeds where he wants them to learn. He wants them to know. He wants them to understand. But the truth is the truth and they're going to find it out sooner or later. Whoa. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they didn't repent. And he goes through this list. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So the only city we really recognize in there is Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. All of those cities that Jesus mentioned would have been totally offensive. Like, if I would have preached this gospel in Las Vegas, they would have repented. What? People in Las Vegas would have repented? That's basically what he's saying. He's going through a list of all of the sin cities that everybody knows. You just don't go there. No righteous, holy person would go to that this town or that town or this town. 
But if those towns would have heard his message, they would have repented. And all of you, you know, um, Orlando, Orlando, where it's like every Christian thing in the world is based or uh, Colorado Springs, where every other Christian thing is based. If if Colorado Springs, you know, is like the holy city and Las Vegas is the sinful city, basically Jesus is saying, Woe to you, Colorado Springs. If I would have preached this in Las Vegas, they would have all repented. But you guys didn't. It's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the last day of judgment than it will be for you, Colorado Springs. Kind of serious talk. But he's laying it down. And he's saying, he's been you know, speaking in parables with the men in fine clothes and the reed bent by the wind. And, and, but now he's getting a little bit more direct with his, with his critics. But then Jesus doesn't stay in a rant and he doesn't stay criticizing his critics because you can almost see now he's looking at the people that are following him and the people that believe in him and the people that are that his 12 disciples it says at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. So when that gets translated, it sounds really, such was your gracious will. And it kind of loses some power, I think. Um, It is, I mean, just think that through. God's delightful desire, God's generous Generous giving want was to save people that are simple. Was to save people that don't have it all, that don't understand it all, and aren't full of wisdom. It was God's delightfully happy plan to save simple people. This little children... um, it's, it's a reference not to how old you are or how tall you are. It's a reference to how much you get stuff and how clear you can talk. Um, it, it's literally people that can't explain things. So Jesus is, is right there with everybody. Lord, I thank you that you save people like this that can't explain anything. <laughs> and they're all like, hey, that's me. Wait, wait a minute. What did he, did he just... Yes, it is God's delight. And then Jesus elaborates on that. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my father and nobody knows the son except the father and nobody knows the father except the son because he hasn't come out to say blatantly that he's the son of God. He's just on the edge, right? And anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. I'm trying to talk to you, Right? He says, I'm trying to reveal you guys. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is so good. This is... Um, so there's a, Jesus is using some slang and then we translate it literally and then it sounds confusing, right? So the yoke is the thing that would hold two ox or two cows and they would pull a plow together. 
And you would have 